Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we desire to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, Lead Pastor Daryl Anderson starts a new series titled The Exodus with part one, The Call. God called Moses to free the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. When God calls you, answer his call and stand on these five truths. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. This morning we're starting a new series entitled The Exodus. We're going to look at the story of Moses and the Israelites as Moses leads them out of Egypt into the Promised Land. And the format's going to be similar to what we did with the Daniel plan uh, that we just finished. I just want to throw out some truths, some principles that we can apply to our life so we can take this story from Scripture and really make it come alive in our own life, where we can apply some of these truths. So we're going to weave in and out through the story to see if we can pull out some, some practical application things. The story of Exodus is actually a story of freedom, specifically for the Israelites, but generally and universally for all mankind. It's a story of freedom. And this morning, I want to start with the topic the call, because the call is critical to the rest of the story. So we can kind of get us all up to date and on the same page so we know what's been going on that led up to this. Let me give it a little quick recap. In Genesis, we see Joseph in Egypt, and Joseph now is the second in command, and he got to Egypt because his brother sold him into slavery and through a series of events and interpreting the Pharaoh's dream, he winds up second in command in Egypt. And he invites his family to come and settle there with him. So his father, Jacob, and his other brothers join him in Egypt. When we get to Exodus chapter one, we see that 70 of his family members joined him in Egypt. So they began to multiply and increase. Uh, Verse six tells us that Joseph died, all the brothers died, everybody in that generation died. So a period of years has passed now. But then it says, but the Israelites continued to multiply and be fruitful. In fact, verse seven says, they were exceedingly numerous and the land was filled with Israelites. So they they were filling the land of Egypt and verse eight tells us that a new Pharaoh came on the scene He didn't know anything about Joseph. He didn't know anything about what was going on. He was just worried and concerned about all these Israelites in his country, afraid that they were going to take over the country. So he puts them in forced labor, and he begins to oppress them. But the word tells us that the Israelites, they grew more and more and more, even in the midst of the oppression. So he oppresses them even harder and works them even harder. In fact, toward the end of that chapter, we see that the Pharaoh decides that he's going to have every baby born, every male baby born killed. They were to throw the male babies into the Nile River. We get to Exodus chapter two, the first part. We see now that Moses is born, although he's not actually named yet. His mother, because of the, the decree of the Pharaoh, was concerned, so she hid him as long as she could, finally had to release him, and so put Moses in a little basket and puts him in the reeds there next to the Nile. Well, Pharaoh's daughter discovers little Moses. So through another series of events, Moses' mother actually is paid by the Pharaoh's daughter to, to nurse Moses. So she gets to spend time with her son for these months. 
Eventually, she, when he comes of age, she takes him to Pharaoh's daughter. She names him Moses. She takes him as her own son and raises him in Pharaoh's palace. Now, the last part of Exodus chapter 2, we see now Moses is in Midian. And he's in Midian because he killed an Egyptian. He's a grown man now. He killed an Egyptian who was beating up an Israelite. And so for fear of his life, he took off and he's in Midian. And that's where we pick up the story. That's where we find Moses in Exodus chapter 3 as we begin to look at the call. Verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the, the bush doesn't burn? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into the good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 10 so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So here's the scene. Moses is in Midian and he's tending his flock for his father-in-law. Daily routine, just doing what he would do every single day. He's just minding his own business and all of a sudden he sees this bush burning, but it's not burning up. It's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And so what a weird sight that is. What a crazy sight that is. And so he would did what every one of us would do. He went and checked it out. Well, if that wasn't freaky enough, as he's looking at this bush that's not burning, all of a sudden he hears a voice coming out of the bush. Now we're really getting creepy. It's twilight zone kind of stuff going on. Not only has Moses never seen a bush on fire, but not burn, not only has he never heard a voice come out of a bush, he's never seen a talking bush. Now both of these are happening at the same time. But what makes it even more weird is now the voice identifies and calls out Moses and calls him by name. Moses. The weirdest part to me is he answers. <laughs> here I am. Now in my mind, I'm not thinking that here I am is a real bold, powerful ready kind of roll call, Daryl, here. Or somebody's looking for me, trying to give me something that I want that's gonna be really cool. Hey, Daryl, Daryl, here I am because I want it. I don't think that's the response. I think the response of Moses is more of that reluctant, scared, I don't know what's going on. I don't know who you are. I don't know what's, uh, here I am. Kind of like when you're in school and the teacher's calling out people to give answers to the questions and you know you don't know the answer and your name's called, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of what I think he's thinking. Here I am. Well, in verse six, God identifies himself. 
Now, God had to identify himself because to date, Moses had never heard God's voice. This is way before Mount Sinai. He's never heard God's voice. So God has to break the ice by identifying himself. And so God is very specific with who he is. He identifies himself and he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, why did, was he so clear about who he was? We have to understand and remember Moses' situation. Remember his upbringing. Acts chapter 7 tells us that Moses lived in the Pharaoh's palace for 40 years. And in those 40 years, he was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And you know part of that education had to do with the religious education and the spiritual education. And so you know that Moses was exposed to all of these Egyptian gods, all of these Egyptian idols, that all of these Egyptians worshiped, and there were a ton of them. And so he knew about all these Egyptian gods. God had to say to Moses, I am not one of those. <laughs> I'm not one of those dead, lifeless, powerless idols that you've been hearing about. I'm the God of Abraham. I am the I am. So here we see that Moses hears God's voice for the very first time. Can you imagine what he was thinking? Can you imagine what he might have been feeling? It really causes me to ask this question for us if we want to apply it. Can you remember the very first time you heard God's voice? Can you hear the very first time that God spoke to you? It probably wasn't an audible voice out of a burning bush. It's probably a very still, small voice in the midst of your spirit. But it was a feeling that you had never felt before. It was a tug that you had never experienced before. There was something going on that maybe you had no idea what was even going on, but there was something deep inside of you, and that was God calling you to himself. Do you remember the time when Jesus identified himself to you? When he said, hey, I'm the one that came and died on the cross for you. I'm the one sent to release you and to give you freedom and to rescue you and to bring you into a relationship. Can you, can you remember that time? That's what's going on here. Moses is hearing that call unto himself. I think at the same time, though, though he was exposed to all of this Egyptian spiritualism, remember that his mother had some time with him early on in his life. She was a God-fearer. And I can guarantee you the time that she had because she knew her time with her son was limited. So I can guarantee you she poured and poured into that boy as much as she could about who God is. And the baby's young. Who knows how much a young child hears and comprehends and can consume? But something must have taken because why did he go to the defense of an Israelite? Why did he kill an Egyptian to save an Israelite? When he saw that, something must have been awakened on the inside of him. Something must have been stirred on the inside of him that God was awakening. This is just another freebie rabbit. But as a parent, if you're a parent, grandparent, you need to speak Jesus into your kids from the day they're born. As soon as they have life, 
You need to speak Jesus into them. You need to speak love and what God's doing. You need to pour into them. We don't, we don't know exactly what all they can receive, but they are just a, they're a sponge. And at some point, if we can breathe that life into them, we never know when God begins to call them and speak to them, something is, is awakened in them, and they respond because they've heard in their spirit who this Jesus is. That's free. In chapters 3 and 4, we see what's going on is that Moses is receiving this call, but he's very reluctant. He's very fearful. As we walk through this passage, you see that he begins to make all these excuses as to why he doesn't want to accept the call. And it's probably a lot of the same excuses sometimes that when we feel like God's calling us into something, the same fears and reluctance maybe that we experience. There's three very specific fears that he mentions. Chapter 3, verse 11, we see the fear of inadequacy. When Moses is saying, man, what if I, I can't do this? I am inadequate. Moses says to God, who am I? The translation is, man, I'm a nobody. I can't do anything about what Pharaoh's doing. You've got to be talking to somebody else. I think you've got confused. You were going to contact someone else. There's got to be somebody else way more gifted, way more talented to do this than me. Have you ever felt totally inadequate and inept in your walk with Christ? <laughs> that's, that's what he's feeling. God, I, I, I can't do this. Chapter 4, verse 1, we see the fear of opposition where Moses is saying, hey, what if I try but people start coming against me. Moses answered in 4.1 says, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? The translation here is, what if I say yes to the call? God, what if I say yes to what you're asking me to do? But when I start the process, I start to experience rejection and criticism and opposition and resistance and challenges. What if I do this and they don't believe me? What if I do this and they won't listen to me? What if I do this and the Pharaoh just decides to execute me on the spot? The third fear is in chapter four, verse 10. It's the fear of failure. And here's where Moses says, man, what if I don't get the job done? He says, I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. I, just, I can't do this. What if I get in the middle of this deal and because of my inadequacy and because of the opposition, I can't close the deal. Have you ever experienced that kind of fear? What we're seeing in these initial chapters is God is calling Moses. We're seeing the call take place. And Moses is fighting it. He's questioning it. He's challenging it. But eventually, obviously, he answers the call. And the same thing happens to us. We'll get into some calls in just a moment. But when God begins to call us unto himself, maybe for, for salvation, or when God begins to call us into something that he's calling us to do, that natural tendency is to start to be reluctant, is to start to fear, is to start to think of all the excuses as to why I can't do it. But what God's calling us to do is to answer the call and say yes because of the difference that call and answering that call is going to make. So let me finish this morning with five truths that you can stand on. When God begins to call you unto himself, when God begins to call you out to do something very specific for the kingdom, here are five truths you can stand on. Here's truth number one. God initiates the call. 
we have to remember that the call is God's idea and God doesn't have any bad ideas. Exodus chapter three, verse seven, the Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. God's call is birthed out of God's concern. God hears our suffering. He hears our pain. He understands our lostness. He knows about our bondage and our slavery. And so out of that concern, out of that love, out of that compassion, he initiates this call. And the way he initiates the call is by sending someone to deal with it. That's what salvation's all about in the first place. That we are dead in our sin, we're lost in our sin, and that lostness touches God's heart. He wants none of us to be saved. Scripture says he desires for all of us to come into relationship with Jesus Christ. So in our lostness, he sins. He calls Jesus to come and to die on the cross for us, to lead us into the abundant life, to lead us into the promised land, to lead us out of bondage and slavery of sin. That's what he did with Moses. He sees the suffering of the Israelites. He sees the forced labor. He hears them crying out, so he sends Moses. Would you free them and lead them into the promised land? But God still speaks today, and God still calls people out today. And it may just be that God's calling you out to do something to release people from their bondage. Here's truth number two. God's call has no age limit. In Acts chapter seven, we see that Moses is 80 years old when God calls him out. We learned in our last series that Daniel was a young man when he began to serve. Josiah, king of Judah, became king when he was eight years old and he helped renew the covenant. Noah was over 500 years old when God called him to build the ark. There's no age limit, which is great news because that means you may be retired, but you're never retired from God's call. You may get all the senior discounts everywhere, but God's not through with you. God's not done with you. God can call you out right now, whatever age you are, and say, I've got a task, I've got a job, I've got a calling. And you may not be able to drive yet today, but you're not too young to answer God's call because God wants to use you. There's no age limit in God's call. Here's truth number three. God's call will be very clear. When God begins to call you, you won't have to wonder what's going on. He's going to make it very clear to you. Chapter 3, verse 10, God says to Moses, So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. He was very clear with Moses. This is who I want you to talk to. This is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to do. This is what's going to happen. Now, he did not answer every question of Moses. He did not tell Moses everything that's going to happen years down the road. But he told him enough that it was very clear, Moses, this is what I want you to do. And the same is true for us. At the end of the bush encounter, Moses knew exactly what God was asking of him. He'll do the same for us. He may not give us 
every single piece of the puzzle. He may not tell you the ramifications way down the road, but when he begins to call you into something, he will make it very clear. You'll be able to understand at the end of that calling, okay, this is what God is calling me to do. He may be calling him unto, maybe calling you unto himself. It may be a point of salvation where he is the burning bush, so to speak, in the spirit, and he is saying, Come to me. Or he may be calling you out to do something very specific, but he's going to make it well known. But not only is he going to make it clear, but he's also going to gift you and give you the ability to carry it out. There's something interesting that, to be honest, I had never caught until this week. Moses says in chapter 4, verse 10, that he's not eloquent. He is slow of speech and he is slow of tongue. But in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, it says he was powerful in speech. <laughs> I, never, I never caught that. He was powerful in speech. He was educated in wisdom. He was powerful in action. Moses saw himself as inadequate. God saw him as powerful. Moses felt like he had no ability and gift to communicate, but God had given him the, the ability to communicate in speech. God had gifted him, even though Moses was not aware of the gifting. The same is true for you. Now, yes, Moses could not have done that on his own. God still needed the power of God in his life, just like us. We can't do it in our own giftedness. We, we can only fulfill the call through the, the power of the Spirit. But God, when he calls you to something, you can rest assured that he is going to gift you with the ability to fulfill that call. So your calling may not be to lead two and a half million people out of Egypt. Your calling may be to Share Christ with that person that God's laid on your heart. And he's very specifically saying, I'm calling you to go share the gospel with that person. Maybe he's calling you to, to minister to a very specific person. You know there's a person in need and a person in want. And God's very specifically saying, that's somebody I want you to go minister to. Maybe he's calling you to some type of leadership position. He's calling you out in, our, in his church body, calling you saying, I want you to do this for the body. Maybe it's to, to, to start some new ministry. God's birthing something in you that's going to create something new and fresh. I don't know, but when he calls you, he'll be very specific, and he'll gift you to do it. That leads us to truth number four. We have to be prepared for this one, and this is that God's call will involve opposition. God's call will involve opposition. When you say yes to God's call, you just need to know, you need to be ready. There will be opposition. We see this in the story of Moses. We see the resistance and the opposition that, that Pharaoh gave Moses throughout the entire story, time and time and time and time again. The Pharaoh opposed what Moses was trying to do. The same thing is going to happen to us. Now, God was faithful and in every point of opposition, God gave Moses what he needed to go through the opposition and lead the children of Israel out. The same thing is going to be true of us. When we say yes to God's call, there will be opposition because we have an enemy. 
And scripture identifies this enemy like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Scripture identifies this enemy as the thief who's only coming to steal, kill, and destroy. And if God is calling you to himself this morning to the point of salvation to say yes to his saving grace, I can guarantee you the enemy is opposing that because he does not want you stepping out of freedom into freedom. He wants you staying bonded in bondage and slavery. And if God is calling you to do a task, the enemy doesn't want that to happen. So the enemy is going to come against you. His goal is to keep you in bondage and slavery. His goal is to get you to like bondage and slavery even more than freedom. So expect the opposition. But the good news is God is faithful. And we see that in truth number five. This final truth is that we need not fear God's call. And the reason is because with the call, God gives us the four Ps, the four promises. God promises us his presence, his power, his protection, and his provision. When God calls you out, you can rest assured that along with the call comes God's presence, God's protection, God's power, and God's provision. Chapter 3, verse 12. God says to Moses, I will be with you. It's a promise of God's presence. Chapter 4, verse 12, God says to Moses, See that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do. It's a promise of God's power. Chapter 3, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And that means a lot of things, but one thing it means is the promise of God's protection. And in chapter 4, verse 14, when God's speaking to Moses, he says to Moses, what about your brother Aaron? I know he can speak well, and he's already on his way to meet you. This is the promise of God's provision. Here's another great nugget here. God says to Moses, Aaron's already on his way. Listen, before God even had the call on Moses, before Moses ever experiences the burning bush, before God ever calls Moses out, he's already had a conversation with Aaron. He's already talked to Aaron. And Aaron's already on his way. So before the call even was spoken, provision was already made. The same thing is true for us this morning. When God calls us out, when God speaks into us to step out and fulfill what he's asking us to do, he's already made provision. He is so far ahead of us, it's not even funny. He's providing everything that we need before we even need it so that when he calls us, everything we need to fulfill the call has already been given to us. So, God's call in your life is not intended to create fear. It's intended to bring freedom. And it may be freedom to you. It may be freedom for somebody else. It may be freedom for both. Here's the deal with Moses. Moses could have just stayed in Midian. <laughs> he had a great life. He had a good job. He had a wife, he's going to have children, steady income, 
stress-free, <laughs> stable. I mean, he could have just stayed there and enjoyed his life. While the people of Israel suffered. But God called him out. And thankfully, Moses said yes to the call. He gave up that easy, stress-free life to live this calling of God that had more stress, had more issues, had more opposition. But man had so much victory and excitement and what, what God did in changing millions of lives because he answered the call. When God calls you out, not only is he calling you out because he's going to gloriously change your life, but he's calling you out because he wants to change someone else's life. See, here's what we have to understand. When God's calling me out to do something, it's not just for me. He's calling me out because he's got somebody else that needs freedom. He's calling you out because there are hurting people out there that he wants to use you to minister to. Because here's the thing. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God has people in this world, in your world, that he wants to call you out and step into their world and bring freedom into them. To take the gospel to them, to take the power of the Spirit and the power of God into their life and say, hey, God's calling us into this. He wants to use you. Your calling is not just for you. Your calling is for somebody else. Maybe a bunch of somebody else's that they would experience freedom as well. So this morning, if God's calling you unto himself, you've never given your life to Christ. When we sang the song, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, you couldn't sing it because you've not been redeemed. You've not had that personal relationship with Christ birthed in you. Maybe God's calling you unto himself. And if that's the case, you need to say yes to the call. And we'll sing here in just a few moments. We'll have some prayer partners in the back and here in the front. Man, just step out and come talk to one of us and say, I need to answer that call. Maybe this morning, God's speaking into you. And maybe you're like Moses at first. You, you have no idea what's going on. It's kind of freaky. It's kind of scary. But the more God speaks, he's beginning to clarify what he's calling you to do. If that's happening, would you answer the call? Maybe down the road, maybe God's not speaking that to you right now. But maybe down the road, God may begin to speak that. My, my prayer for you, my exhortation, is that you'd say yes to the call. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening. We truly hope that you are blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org.